Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm so glad to have you here. And welcome to Season 3. Today on the show, I'm answering your questions about IUDs, libido, and cramping. Like, are they all related? Are they happening because of the IUD? I also share my interview with Dallas Barnes, where we do a deep dive on contraceptive methods. In particular, we answer your questions about what it's like after having an IUD removed, our initial journeys with fertility awareness method, and addressing the pros and cons of hormonal versus non-hormonal birth control. But first, today in sex. I don't really do New Year's resolutions. I mean, we're already at the end of January, and by now, most people who did make New Year's resolutions have already given up on them. And this isn't to, like, shame anyone, because making these changes in our lives can be really hard. However, the one thing that I think a lot of us can get on board with is becoming better lovers. Now, that's a personal goal of mine, like, every year. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with Beducated. You get it? Like bed in the educated? Yeah, Beducated, <laughs> which is the Netflix of sexual wellness. Beducated is an online course platform with lots of different ways to learn, from videos and audio to written guides on how to improve various aspects of your sex life. You can learn about how to give better head for folks with vulvas and folks with penises, as well as all about squirting and strap-on play. Now, what I love in particular is inclusive language used in their courses and having advice from actual experts and sex educators. One of my personal favorites is the Roadmap to Intimacy that is offered by Dr. Jenny Schuyler and Daniel Lebowitz. What I love is their disclaimer right at the beginning of the course that says, the instructors in this course are married and represent a heterosexual relationship. However, the information in this course can be used by anyone, regardless of their gender, the gender of their partners, or relationship status. This course takes you through four different levels of intimacy and it combines concepts of psychotherapy and sex therapy to address some common relationship issues. By being able to name our feelings and to find ways to communicate them with our partners, that's one of the key things that can elevate your sex life. And it's advice that I give all the time, to myself included. For listeners of the Love Doctor podcast, you can try all of the Beducated courses for one day free. And if you love it, you can get 65% off the yearly pass with my coupon code LOVEDOCTOR. This discount will be locked in for life, but it's only available for the next 48 hours. Now, if you want to try month to month to level up your love life, you can join Beducated for $9.99 a month. If you sign up for Beducated now, whether it's yearly or monthly, you will have access to a huge library of courses that will get you and your partner or partners going, ooh, ah, oh my. <laughs> you can tell I'm taking this so seriously. <laughs> but seriously, Beducated is a really amazing collaborator, so I'm stoked to have them sponsor the podcast. So check out Beducated.com using the link in the episode description and use the coupon code LOVEDOCTOR to start your sex education journey today. And now, let's get to your calls. Hi, Leah. Um, so I was wondering, as a sexual health educator, um, if you have read any um, articles or, or, or any research-based articles about having a change in libido after having an IUD insertion. 
Um, I had a Marana IUD inserted um, last fall. Um, previously, I was on the Nuva ring. Um, and since then, I think I have noticed a drop in my libido. It's, it's hard for me to ter determine just because um, I didn't do the best at charting um, my my libido and my symptoms. Um, I also occasionally get random painful, what feels like period um, like cramps. And they, it often happens um, when I feel bloated or constipated. Um, I do shift work and that really messes with my, um, my regular bowel movements. Um, sorry, I don't know if that's too, too much info. Um, I also sometimes feel like I get these cramps after having very satisfying penetrative sex, um, um, vaginal, vaginal penetrative sex, but I don't really notice these cramps as much when I just have mediocre penetrative sex. Um, so these cramps have also impacted my, my libido and my, my desire to be intimate. So I'm just wondering if you've read any articles about this, because um, I haven't heard heard much about it. I'm thinking about maybe going to um, get it removed. I'm kind of, I don't know if I want to go through the pain of having it removed. It's also a process in, I, I, in booking it where you, um, just because of how backed up the clinics are right now, um, I also really like the protection that the IUD gives me against pregnancy compared to um, other contraceptive methods. Um, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate your podcast. And um, yeah, thank you. Caller, I am loving your honesty. And also, don't worry about sharing too much information. I feel like I'm that person who's oversharing all the time. But I'll be honest, I'm nosy. I want to know every little detail. So, what did I find on my deep dive into the research on IUDs? Let's start with talking about libido. Now, I found a study that was done in Sweden that was published in 2019 called A Survey of Young Women's Perceptions of the Influence of the Levonorgestrel Intrauterine System or Copper Intrauterine Device on Sexual Desire. Whew. Basically, this is a compare-contrast hormonal IUD with a copper IUD and how that impacts sexual desire. Now, the study starts by saying that we previously reported that 27% of the 1,851 young Swedish women using any kind of hormonal contraceptive method reported that the method had negative effects on their sexual desire, compared with 9-11% to 11 of women using hormone-free contraceptive methods. Now, regardless of the lack of scientific evidence or proven causality between the use of hormonal contraception and sexual function, women's personal perceptions of the disadvantages and advantages of their contraception affect their decision to continue, change, or even discontinue the method. This is really important to consider because our personal feelings about something can have a huge impact regardless of any scientific evidence. The conclusion of the study was that women using the hormonal IUD compared with the copper IUD users had significantly higher odds of reporting negative effects of their contraceptive method on their sexual desire. They also reported having lower satisfaction with sex life and lower sexual desire. However, important caveat, the degree of satisfaction with their sexual desire did not differ between the two study groups. It's also important to emphasize that a majority of the women using either of the two contraceptive methods reported that they were satisfied with their sex life overall. 
This was a small sample size, and other studies have found that the impact of hormonal IUDs on the libido is fairly low and allowed for greater spontaneity in sex, as well as a sense of security, knowing that they have a highly effective contraceptive method. Now, I want to go further to say that understanding desire and the context in which we feel desire is also really important in addressing issues with our libido. For that, I would highly recommend listening to my interview with Dr. Lori Brado in Season 2 called How to Stop Having Boring Sex. She also talks about the amazing resource that she created at the UBC Sexual Health Lab called Debunking Desire. Of course, those are linked in the episode description. In terms of cramps and things like that, let's talk about some of those misconceptions that IUDs are associated with infertility and increased chances of pelvic inflammatory disease. And because of these misconceptions, that's why there's so relatively low rates of folks with vulvas, particularly in the US, choosing IUDs as a contraceptive method. Just an important little plug there. But typically, symptoms with a new IUD, they tend to dissipate after the first three to six months, and that includes bleeding or cramping. Now, they're typically more common with copper IUDs, but definitely can still occur with hormonal IUDs. So if you got it last fall, it may be that your cramps will get better soon. But I also don't want to be that person who says, well, just grin and bear it, it'll get better. Because if it is causing a lot of cramps and is uncomfortable for you, it may be that it's not worth it for you to keep it in. And among folks who use IUDs and other um, LARC users, the long-acting reversible contraceptive, in several studies, they've incited increased bleeding, irregular bleeding, and cramping as the most common cause for the method discontinuation within the first two years of use. Now, the study that I looked at stated that the hormonal IUD has been associated with decreased amounts of bleeding and cramping within six months of insertion. So if the cramps continue, especially after having it in for over three months, it would be worthwhile making an appointment with a healthcare provider and checking in on what might be happening. You know, it may be that the IUD has shifted. And this leads me to the next part of your question. Talking about having cramps after um, vaginal penetrative sex, especially if it's a deeply satisfying session. So it might be that when you're having this type of vaginal penetrative sex, that the dildo, penis, whatever it is that's penetrating, it might be hitting the strings of the IUD and causing some cramping around the IUD. Now we do experience cramping when the cervix opens. You know, that's why we experience cramping when the IUD is inserted or removed, as well as when folks are menstruating. So it may be that with arousal and penetrative vaginal sex, you may experience some short-term cramping afterwards. Now, I've actually experienced a really similar thing where after satisfying penetrative sex, I feel some cramping. But this can happen with or without an IUD, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. If it continues for multiple hours and days afterwards, then you should definitely talk to a healthcare provider about it. But it might just be that your body's like, whew, that was quite a session. So links to all of the research articles that I cite are in the episode description, and I hope this gives you a few answers to some of your amazing questions. And now, my interview with Dallas Barnes. Dallas is the CEO and founder of Rhea Health and all-around just contraception goddess who does her research on all different types of birth control methods. You can tell we had a lot of fun recording this. Dallas, I mean, I feel like the first thing we need to say is that we're almost on the same cycle right now. Like, we've synced up. 
<laughs> we have. We have just spent so much virtual time together lately that, yeah, our cycles. Actually, this is very timely because we just did a blog post last night on cycle syncing as well. And I learned a ton. That's amazing. Okay, well, I want to go read that because I know like growing up, like I have an older sister and my mom, like when we would all sync up or when I, I've never actually lived with another woman other than my, I've only ever lived with men. What does that say about me? But um, <laughs> yeah, we'll unpack that later. So clearly my my uterus is calling out to my my virtual friends being like, hey, can we sync up? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're in this together. So uh, let's just jump right in. And uh, a lot of questions that I've been getting from people are around IUDs, uh, intrauterine devices. Um, we know there's like two different types. There's the copper, cop- I can't even talk. There's the copper and the hormonal. And I know that in the previous episode we had done, we talked a little bit about that experience. But uh, do you mind just giving me a bit of a recap? Like, what was it like for you getting an IUD, um, having it and then having it removed? Like, what what was that like? Yeah, so I, when I first went on my IUD, I was right at the end of this process of trying a whole bunch of different options, everything from, you know, five different birth control pills, Um, even I took my first crack at the fertility awareness method, and I wasn't very confident in that option for myself. And at the time, actually, I had five friends of mine that are pretty close to me that had an IUD, the hormonal one, and loved it. And they had only good things to say. And I was like, this sounds too good to be true. Like, this is bliss. I need this in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and had the Mirena, so hormonal IUD inserted. And for me, the insertion process was pretty seamless. Like it felt like a, you know, a little pinch at the cervix, similar to, you know, getting a pap. Um, and that was about it. But after that, Um, my body reacted very adversely to my IUD. Um, I started to develop chronic ovarian cysts that were extremely painful. I was admitted to the hospital on a couple of occasions because of that pain and um, those cysts, as well as I started to have pretty severe acne that I never had before. I bled constantly like a full period bleed for months. Um, I had cramping all the time. It was just a very painful, confusing experience. And medical professionals kind of just brushed it off as normal as that being the adjustment period, which, you know, is fair. There is um, a length of time when you first start a new birth control method where your body is adjusting to it. For the IUD, it's about four months, four to six months. Um, I had mine in over five months and my condition did not change. So I kind of got to this point where I was like, this is insane. I really feel like I've given it my best shot. Um, And I just, it was interfering too much in my daily life. At the time I was in third year university, I think. And I received um, doctor's notes that um, omitted me from going to class because some days I just couldn't get out of bed. My pain was so severe. So this option made me feel so uncomfortable that it just, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. Birth control should not make you feel that way. So I decided to remove the IUD and the removal process was like so simple. Um, Just go back to the medical professional um, and they were able to remove it within a few minutes. And as soon as the removal happened, it was like my body took a breath of fresh air. Like basically my pain subsided Um, 
you know, the spotting within a couple of days went away. And that was so relieving to me, to say the least. I can imagine. I'm so sorry that that was the experience as well. And like you said, to have, you know, so many friends who had had like this blissful experience and then for you to be like, okay, this sounds like this is going to be the right option for me. And then just having, you know, your body be like, ah, this is, I am absolutely rejecting this. Um, and it actually reminds me, I had a, a listener send in a question as well. They sent it on Instagram and they had a very similar thing. Like they got really anxious and depressed. Um, and they said that they had it in for an entire year before they actually got it removed and just felt like their body did not want it in them. So was that kind of the experience that just from the beginning, your body was like, this is not the right option for me? Yeah, I totally think so. I think, you know, your body speaks to you in a variety of ways. And mine was definitely screaming at me and I ignored it because you want it to work so badly, especially at that point in my birth control journey. Like I had tried everything under the sun and I really wanted this one to work. So I thought, okay, I'm going to stick it out. I made this boundary for myself that I would try, you know, at least four months, let my body, you know, do its thing, try and um, adjust to this new method. But after that time period, like I, I didn't see any difference or any improvement in the way that my body was reacting to it. And it was still sending me these signals that, you know, this is not, this is not the thing for me. And that's okay. You know, I have since found options that I love and that really, that work really well. And I'm glad I went through that process. And now I know. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I find myself, um, it's a bit of a balance, right? Where like as a sex educator, I feel like it, it's a, it's part of my duty to say that, like, you know, IUDs are the safest and most effective form of contraception we have. But there's always a caveat to that because we don't know how our bodies are going to react. So I can't, you know, and obviously I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not going to prescribe like everyone who has a uterus get an IUD because clearly, you know, some people that's absolutely not going to work for them. And it's it's always so funny, right, balancing that information with for myself, knowing that that was an option that having gone through not the same, but a similar experience to you of trying multiple different methods and just finding none of them really working for me. And it and it was funny how you described it. It was like your body had like a breath of fresh air. That's how it felt when I got my IUD. I mean, it was, it was painful, obviously going in, but that it was such a relief for me and felt very sexually liberating to be like, okay, now I feel like I have like real control over um, my, my reproductive capacity. And you know, at 19, I was like, wow, like, this is something that was was really empowering. So I, I guess that's always so hard. I feel like people come for advice, be like, what should I do? And then to tell them, uh, you have to have that conversation with a healthcare provider. And you know, what, what does that look like? It's going to be so different for each of us. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Um, that's such a, an interesting sort of take on the opposite. Um, of my experience with, you know, how the bodies are reacting. And I love that. And it's so true, you know, um, birth control is intended to provide a sense of bodily autonomy um, and that choice. And that's empowering and it's liberating. And when we make that choice for ourselves and keep ourselves at the center of that decision-making process, it's like, brings a different sense of confidence to your health experience that I wish everybody has the opportunity to have. Absolutely. I think one of the other things too that really interesting in you telling that story is 
that experience with healthcare providers, right? Of either not listening to you and you're saying that you're in pain. Um, and I think, you know, particularly for, um, folks who are marginalized, women of color, um, like being able to talk about, um, their pain and having it be realized by healthcare providers is a real issue that we have. And so, and I think as, you know, folks with uteruses in general, it's like, oh, well, is it actually that bad? You should just be able to, endure this pain because the outcomes, you know, outweigh it in some way. So I don't know, like what, what, talk to me a bit about that struggle, but maybe also about uh, Rhea and how trying to navigate those conversations with doctors and to give people those tools. For sure. And I think I need to preface all of this by saying one, you know, I'm not a medical professional, so I can only speak to my own experience and the research and the science that we have to date As a follow-up to that, the amount of research and science that we do have specifically on reproductive health, women's health, and contraceptives is like, has to be better. (laughs) There's not a lot. That information is largely lacking across the board. So oftentimes, I think, you know, we are dismissed or felt we feel unheard by our medical professionals, mostly because they're like, we don't really have any conclusive information or conclusive evidence around this. So you might be experiencing that and it's totally valid, but I can't as a professional, you know, um, validate you in that experience Mm -hmm. because that goes against what um, I have to do as a professional in this field. And that's so frustrating having the flip side of that. Um, so my friend, actually, my friend and I both had a similar experience with our IUDs. We had never had any issues with UTIs before. And when we got our IUD, we had like chronic UTIs. I swear I had one like every other week <laughs> and it was just like so uncomfortable. And I went to my doctor and I was telling them this and they're like, no, there's nothing about that, that your IUD would never have any, you know, influence or impact on that part. And I'm like, well, it seems like too coincidental. I don't know. And my friend was also experiencing this. She had a very similar IUD experience to mine. And she's like, yeah, dude, I swear (laughs) that my IUD is like causing all these UTIs that I'm all of a sudden having since removing my IUD. Like I don't, I haven't had one since Mm -hmm. then. So, you know, there is a lot of nuance to that, but you know, overall, I think that there is a lack of information. And this is like a call to all researchers out there. If you're looking to do any type of project, like women's health contraceptives, there's so much work that needs to be done. Um, But when it comes to Rhea, you know, we want to support this contraceptive counseling process that you can go through with your medical professional. Mm-hmm. At this point with our service, um, we can't provide medical advice. So we are used as a personalized guiding tool for people navigating birth control, everything from matching them to the right option for them, helping them track and monitor any side effects and their overall use with the birth control option. But we always, always, always encourage people to have a conversation with their medical professional to talk about if there are any contraindications that come up. So, you know, big red flags that say this option might be dangerous for you to use, um, to have a conversation with that with your medical professional. But when using Raya and using these services, you can be more prepared for those conversations. A lot of the time they can be intimidating and we might not be sure 
what questions we want to ask. So with having this information that's specifically curated to your circumstance, you can go into those conversations with a more focused outlook and get those questions answered and feel prepared and confident leaving the doctor's office um, to try a method and feel supported thereafter. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something that you could just like bring with you on like your phone or something to refer to as well. Like, it doesn't have to necessarily be like a script that you memorize of what you're going to ask for. It's like, you know, doing your own research and bringing in some of your own information around your own body as well, but things you've done. I, I find that so helpful. I, I would also maybe suggest like to folks who are listening that if it's available to you, finding a sexual health clinic to have those conversations, they the, the staff there are prepared to have these conversations, are trained to have these conversations with you. And I know that's not a realistic option for many people, um, but I will definitely leave links in the episode description to at least ones that are local in, in British Columbia or um, different places you can go. Uh, there's lots of different apps now where you can like search in where you live, where's the closest sexual health clinic, because I just think that would help the conversation so much. The one other thing I want to add, again, as not not a medical doctor at all, but it's very complex anatomy around like the uterus and the vulva and the clitoris. Like this is very complex anatomy, but there's very few things to tell us what's going on, right? Like there's a bit of pain or there might be bleeding, but it could mean so many different things. So I can imagine as a healthcare provider how frustrating that would be to not have answers for your patients and to not have the research to support that. Like you were saying, it's like this is your experience and I hear you and I don't know what to do now. So it's, you know, an indication that our system is flawed in many ways. And I don't know, having gone through Rhea myself and had was already happy with my contraception methods, but having gone through that process, I'm just really grateful to have something like that out there. So it's not as mystifying as when I started on that journey, you know, 15 years ago, uh, how much this would have helped me then. I wish it was available then. Oh, thank you. That like, you know, that's why I do what I do and it means the world for you to say. And it's so sad though. Like that is feedback that we get often. People are like, you know, I wish this was around when, you know, I first started or, you know, wish I had that. And it's like, it should have been <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I think we are definitely in different times right now, which is super exciting for women's health and femtech. Um, but it's frustrating that we didn't have that experience. And, um, you know, throughout my journey with birth control, I felt very unsupported and unprepared throughout that experience, despite me actually having privileged access to healthcare and to birth control. Um, I still struggled with it. And so I wanted to create a solution that I wished I had. And it's then grown into what Raya is today. I think what's also helpful and, um, and I was kind of refreshing myself around like talking about IUDs. Cause I know that's, you know, kind of a, a real like focus of, of this episode. And we'll talk about other hormonal versus non-hormonal methods. Um, but for people to really know like the pros and cons of each one and, you know, like what, what are the questions that you get often like as Rhea and in your personal life where people being like, if I get an IUD, like, what's great and what's not obviously you have your own personal experience but like how would you maybe approach that conversation with a friend around things they should consider if if they're thinking about getting an IUD 
For sure. I honestly still like very strongly and confidently would say that the IUD is one of the best birth control methods that somebody could have. And when it works for you, like it's could be a perfect method, hormonal and the non-hormonal. And we refer to the non-hormonal. It's also, you know, known as the copper IUD. Um, both like really great options, highly effective. They're long lasting. Um, it's an option that is inserted by a medical professional. And then you basically just like, you know, don't have to worry about it. It's in there. As you say, it's very um, liberating in that sense. And having that autonomy is refreshing and um, a great thing for us to be able to have access to. Um, the copper IUD actually, fun fact, <laughs> as a pro, um, it can be used as an emergency contraceptive as well. And then once you get that inserted, you're then um, protected from pregnancy for seven to 10 years. It's a great long lasting option. Some cons with the both IUDs, um, neither protect against STIs. Um, some common side effects, especially with the copper IUD, a lot of people report cramping and spotting. Um, and the hormonal IUD, since it does use progestin, progestin only to uh, prevent pregnancy, you can get some of those hormonal related side effects such as acne. Um, again, the spotting can incur as well. Um, and some other, you know, could be mood swings. It's tricky because everybody does respond to these options differently. Um, the hormonal IUD can be helpful in um, either lightening somebody's period or actually, you know, uh, allowing them to miss their period altogether. And again, some people might experience this, some people might not. Um, so it is, you know, differing on that. I feel like it can go on and on and on. Um, <laughs> do you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I guess, I guess like the, the main thing for me in terms of the pros and cons of those, of those IUDs is really knowing um, like what your cycle is like. If you are like someone that menstruates and you have a really heavy or a painful period, the copper IUD might not be a great option because that might contribute to that. Um, Cause I know the, the hormonal IUD um, quite often called like Kylina or Marina is can be really helpful with that. And, and I've talked about it openly on this podcast as well, where I basically have not had, you know, a regular period for 11 years. And I, uh, I missed it in some ways. But now that I am off of it, I'm like, wow, that was so refreshing and freeing in its own way. Um, I think that's kind of the main thing, just knowing that it is the safest and most effective method that we have out there. And even though I feel like all of us have a friend of a friend or ourselves who has had a horror story with them, it, it is quite rare, scientifically speaking, people know that I'm using kind of like bunny ears here to have those sort of things happen, you know, where it either like falls out. I feel like you have to go on TikTok. People are like, oh my gosh, I like coughed and my IUD came out. I'm like, okay, um, probably that will not happen to you. Uh, so just, I guess, really being really aware of a lot of like the almost like fear mongering and scare tactics and really things that are just done for shock value, particularly on the internet. So the person who's going to know best is hopefully your healthcare provider and doing some of your own information. But that kind of leads me into like the, the part that I want to talk about next is, you know, what, what was your cycle like after having it removed? Cause it's not, it's a journey that I'm on as well. So I'm interested to hear, you know, what, what that has been like for you. 
Yeah, and this is a really interesting conversation and something that we talk a lot about at Rhea, um, the like post-birth control process. Mm-hmm. Very similarly to when you're first starting a birth control option, when your body, you know, it's generally like three to five months where your body is adjusting to a new method where you'll either experience like the most side effects or um, changes, your body will go through these different changes hor- using hormonal and non-hormonal options actually, um, your body goes through similar changes or even like a reverse kind of side effect process when you go off birth control. Um, and this can take longer or not occur at all for me or for you. Everybody's experience with this is different, just as everybody's experience with birth control is different. So actually for me, when I removed my IUD, um, my body like quickly jumped back into a regular cycle. Um, my cycle is like pretty regular. Um, and so I knew what, you know, what was normal, um, for me at that time. And it didn't seem to influence, you know, my bleeding patterns in any way beyond that. Um, apart from when I had the IUD was a little bit different, but going off, actually, there wasn't anything, um, that significant, um, but some people's experience is a lot different. So they may ex- might experience more spotting or have an irregular period or an irregular cycle that they may not have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. And this again, is just your body free, um, adjusting to being off of a hormonal cycle. And I think there's a lot of fear a part of, you know, maybe not having a period regularly that folks kind of contribute with like fertility. And I think that's one of the things that, again, when we're talking about um, IUDs as a form of reversible contraception, um, it should not have long-term effects on your fertility. Like you said, there's always, whenever something different is going on in your body, it takes a while for it to adjust. So I even remember asking my doctor about it when I got the IUD um, inserted. And I said, you know, when I want to have kids down the road, and obviously not everyone wants to have kids, but that's part of my family planning. I was like, so, you know, what what is that process going to look like? And he's like, well, you know, for some people, it'll like that month, you'll go back to having a regular cycle. Some people will take three months, it'll take a year, like it really depends. And I, I mean, knock on wood, I'm only two months off of the IUD. And I am like on like a 25 day cycle. And it's like, boom, boom, that I know when well, I know, again, it's been two months, but I'm like, wow, I like have a period again. And like, I kind of know when it is and I get to track it on my app. And yeah, yeah it's been a really interesting kind of a, a, a bit of both. I was saying before, like trying to balance that conversation. In some ways, I did kind of miss having a period and being that kind of connected to those cycles that are happening in my body. But I think there's a lot of conflation of like having a period with like femininity or being like a proper woman. And is that, is that some of the rhetoric that you've kind of heard around, you know, I don't want to go on hormonal because it's going to impact, you know, my cycle. And what is that going to mean for me? Yeah. And I think there is, you know, and rightly so, you know, when you, whenever you try a new medication, there's always like, oh no, you know, look at this long list of potential side effects. And that's totally valid. That's fair. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are afraid of hormones and the idea of putting synthetic hormones into your body and what that means. And yeah, interrupting your cycle. I think there's a big conversation happening online right now and just in the media where, 
you know, birth control, hormonal birth control is bad. It'll totally ruin your natural cycle. And I think this does perpetuate this idea that like you, your cycle is only good if it's a natural one. Um, but that's also shameful for people who have struggles with their, you know, biological cycle. Maybe it doesn't come every month. Like you're, it's quote unquote supposed to, um, maybe their like period is really painful or they're dealing with other conditions like endometriosis or PCOS where this, you know, it's more complex than what people are speaking about more openly. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit as well, but it does get into this conversation of like, okay, if you're on birth control and having this other cycle it's, and you, you know, are placebo bleeding, people are like, you know, that that's not natural, that's not normal. And then it again goes into this conversation where like, okay, <laughs> you know, what does that normal one look like? And what does that mean for me being a woman? And obviously not everybody who's a woman menstruates and it opens up this other conversation about projecting your own experience onto others, negative or positive. But I think we often miss the big piece where everyone's experience is different. I feel like a broken record. <laughs> but it's so true. And it's, you know, can be, again, it's just about creating safe spaces for people to explore what their own health journey is like. Um, and that means a whole suite of things for me and for you and for everybody. So it can become really problematic when people take to the internet to share their negative experience. And I'm not saying I think we should be sharing our experiences because it's helpful to share stories and to have somebody else's story resonate with you. That's healing. And it, that's what builds community. But I think the problem becomes when it's like you, you are shaming people for wanting to go on hormonal birth control or are using hormonal birth control to help with their endometriosis. And that can be really empowering for somebody in that experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think <laughs> that's where we get into this. Yeah, the fear mongering is what can be so detrimental to someone's own healing in their journey. Absolutely. No, I so appreciate you you talking about that. And I I feel like as an educator, sometimes you have to be a broken record to be like, we can talk about our experiences until the cows come home. But of course, that's going to be different for each of us. And I think for me, it's really trying to separate out for people that like biologically, like our sex and our, you know, functioning, that is different from our gender expression and identity. And like, Again, I, I feel like a broken record when I say this, but it's like menstruating or not is not something that makes someone a woman or more feminine, you know, and, and needing to kind of parse out those ideas from each other, I think is really important because, you know, there are lots of folks who don't menstruate who are like who identify as women, who are women in every like sense of the word because we we're talking about their sense of who they are, you know, or how they present or how they, they you know, they want to be referred to. And I just, I, I find that so difficult as well, where people always come back to the, to the biology. And of course, we want to know what's going on in our bodies, but we get into tricky territory when we get into the quote unquote natural processes of our bodies because having a cycle might be something that's like 
very natural for someone else. And it might be a normal, you know, every 28 days this is happening for me. And like you said, other people, that can be really painful. And if you're saying to someone, actually, it's better if you just, you know what, grin and bear it because that's the, the natural thing to do. Like what an awful thing to say to someone. It's like, no, you need to be able to make those choices. And even if it's not painful, if you are making a decision for extended use around contraception, right? Either with IUDs or even um, with other different types of hormonal methods with like the pills or the rings, you can continue to use them and skip that um, the withdrawal bleed. And a lot of times as an educator, I'm like, that's actually more effective in terms of preventing pregnancy than having that withdrawal bleed if you were to do that every month. So it's it's tricky territory and gets into a lot more complex topics, but I think I think it's really important to address, you know, that like need to bleed argument that a lot of people have because it's far more uh intricate and about our own personal experiences than just like this is good and this is bad. For sure. And I was actually having a conversation with this with another person who has a hormonal IUD and they don't get their period anymore. And they've had the hormonal IUD for, um, I think it was like a couple of years for a while now anyway. And they've been hearing these stories online and just within the media and their, their circle where it was the conversation about, you know, not being on your natural cycle sort of disassociates or breaks that bridge between you and your like innate femininity and this like cyclical nature that us as vulva owners and uterus owners can experience. And this individual was feeling, you know, sad about that. They thought, you know, they're missing out on something and even contemplating removing the IUD, but they really enjoyed having the IUD. It was great for them. Um, And so just as like a little hack and kind of personal plug here, Um, I think it could be helpful. And I suggested this to that person Um, might be getting off on a total different train here, but following, you know, if you want to kind of pin, okay, you know, your period and your ovulation and tracking that and getting into this like cyclical rhythm within the months and within the calendars in a quote unquote feminine way, you can match that up to the lunar calendar and the lunar cycle And, you know, you can do, you know, your rituals or whatever you want to do around the new moon, thinking that might be, you know, your period and then full moon is kind of your ovulation period. Um, Side plug, there's a book by Alyssa VT called In the Flow, and she um, explains and outlines how during each four phases of your menstrual cycle, your body needs different things. And in order to support your cycle best and nourish your body and your mind um, without throughout these four phases of your menstrual cycle, you can do different workouts or different diets, things like that. Mm-hmm. So this individual brought that up and wanted to implement that into their life without, you know, totally removing their IUD. And still, mm-hmm. by all means, you can do that and using maybe, I mean, you can totally do it January 1st is, you know, this <laughs> time of my cycle. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the lunar calendar could also be an interesting way to uh, frame that as well. Absolutely. We're having that sense of connection, like you said, to how 
regardless of if you uh, menstruate or not, we are still beings who are connected to the world that we're in. So we are always going through different cycles and whether or not that's energy or hormones, things like that. And the other kind of piece that I'll add is that when, even when you're using our, um, a hormonal method like the IUD, you, you are still ovulating on that IUD, right? So you, you are still having a cycle. You are just not menstruating. That's just not a part of that cycle. And I know some people are like, oh my gosh, is there like a buildup? And then like, I have to bleed in order to like release it. And you're like, no, the way, the way that it's designed is that it, you know, it, the uterine lining doesn't, you know, fully develop. So you don't have, um, you don't have that, that thick, rich lining that would lead to being um, a menstrual cycle. So, you know, you can still track those things. We can still be, it's something that I've been thinking about. And I kind of want to get your opinion talking about fertility awareness method, where I've been thinking a lot about like discharge and what is my energy feeling like? And so like, there's lots of other ways to track what's going on in our bodies. And I think if we link it uh, like too much to our cycle, and I don't want to say that I know I have lots of dear friends who are cycle awareness educators and want people to know about them. And I think that knowledge is so powerful. But I also think there's there is space for for all of us, whether or not we have cycles to to still feel connected in a cyclical way to what's going on in our bodies. Right. So let's let's talk about fertility awareness method a little bit, because you and I were talking the other day and and you have tried it three different times. Is this your third yeah. time? Okay. Talk to me about that. What has that been like? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and this is something that I'm chatting more and more about. So the first time that I tried fertility awareness method there, it was like years ago. And to my knowledge, there weren't the wonderful apps that we have today to help navigate this process. So I was just kind of like writing it down on my calendar and, you know, like tracking, okay, my period and then the two weeks and like trying to sort it out for myself. Um, And I was also in a committed relationship at the time and like quite sexually active. So I wanted it to be for pregnancy prevention. Um, And I just did not feel very confident in it um, or very comfortable using that option. Like I was trying my best. Um, Sure enough, I using that method, I um, had an abortion on it. And that was when what led me to get the IUD. So at that point in time, I was like, okay, the IUD has to work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now um, I have now tried um, the fertility awareness method after my IUD. I tried it again, and I then was using an app that came out Um, But around the same time, I was also searching for a different hormonal option because I wanted that to be a little bit more um, secure or I wanted to feel more secure in that because my past experience with using Femme before, I still wasn't fully confident in it. Um, So I ended up finding a pill that I loved and really liked and I ended up using it for years, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I then went on a long distance stint. And so I stopped taking the pill and I wanted to explore fertility awareness method again, just because, you know, I, just because, (laughs) and I, I think that's an interesting thing to bring up as well. Like I was on this pill, this, um, low dose hormonal pill, and I loved it and it was great. And I'll probably use it again. And I'm really happy to have that like in my back pocket, but it's okay to, 
change your birth control method um, if you go through a lifestyle change or a preference change, that's okay. And you can switch it again for no reason at all. That is totally your prerogative and go for it. Um, So that's kind of where I was at. And now I've gotten more into a rhythm with this option and I've been using it for over a year now and I feel great with it. So the app that I use actually has a ton of information that goes into the tracking process and helps you really pinpoint your ovulation period. Mm. And with these tools, these were things that I did not have in my past um, two times using this method. So they are really um, confidence builders (laughs) in this method for me. Those being taking my basal body temperature every morning, tracking cervical mucus and taking a luteinizing hormone test. So that's basically like an ovulation test. It's just a a stick that you dip into um, urine like twice, two or three times in your cycle where it's like, you know, you're in your fertile window and it really helps pinpoint when that's occurring for you. Um, And as you put in more information and as you use the app longer, Um, the algorithm for yourself gets better and better. So the predictions get more, um, yeah, have a higher confidence level in them. Um, And that's been really interesting for me to follow along with. Yeah. And just being more, you know, diligent around either avoiding pregnancy during my, or sorry, pregnancy, avoiding sex during um, my fertile window and avoiding pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) Win-win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or taking those extra necessary precautions. Yeah. There's, there's just two things I want to pick up on there. And I, I really appreciate your honesty on your journey as well. Cause I know, I feel like sometimes I get desensitized to like talking openly about my experience with with contraception or with sex, or whichever else, because I know for you and I, this is literally our jobs. Um, so we're yeah, we're not saying listeners, you need to be this explicit with like lots of other people in your life. But this is an invitation when you're listening to really think deeply about what is working for you. And I, I love what you said there about, you know, you had found an option that really worked for you. But our life situations change right? And it's okay that even if you find an option, that's really great. Like the IUD was wonderful for me. But now I'm at a point in, you know, my journey with my partner that, you know, in the next year or so, we want to try, you know, having having a child. So it's like, okay, this is a time for us. And, and you know, will I get an IUD again? Probably, like, because it was so wonderful, I will probably do it again and think it was great. Uh, probably, you know, if, if if we do manage to have kids, I can imagine after having that kid, I'll be like, put the idea in. <laughs> We're good for a while. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's something that we forget as well, is that we as human beings are changing and evolving constantly and our contexts are changing. So it's really important to keep that in mind when we're choosing contraceptive methods that might work for us and how discreet do we want them to be. So, I, but I'll also say in terms of fertility awareness method or, or FAM or FAM, some people will say, it's, it is scary to think about if you were embarking on that journey and not being aware of what those options might be. Like you said, like knowing that, you know, if, if I do get pregnant, what are the options and do I know what I would like to do about that and to really think deeply about it? And I think that's why, especially when I'm teaching young people, I don't offer that as the first uh, method to people. I will offer so many other different forms of contraception out there and say, you know, if you want to know more 
or depending, and obviously I'm not the one to decide where they're at in their lives, but medically, scientifically speaking, I'm like, your cycle probably isn't going to be super consistent when you're younger. Um, the, your life situation is more likely to be more fluid and changing. So this might not be a method that works for you. Are you reliable enough to take, to take your temperature every morning? Do you think you can do that? I know if I, when I was in university, no way. There's no way I would have done. No. And I'm amazed when people do, but I'm like, I was not that responsible. Heck no. That was not. <laughs> Maybe that's why I love the IUD so much. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess that's a, a part of and why I was really excited to to talk to you. And I feel like we should probably have a follow-up conversation maybe about fertility awareness method more just because um, I've gotten a lot of mixed messages from followers um, around, you know, it's been so empowering and I love it. But a lot of rhetoric um, from other people who are, you know, really passionate about it who are feeding into that fear-mongering around hormones. And I just am struggling professionally and personally to figure out that balance of I'm on this journey, but how do I talk about it in a way that validates other people's experiences and doesn't deny these other methods that really work for other people? Yeah, totally. And it is a balance there. Um, and it's tricky because, you know, femme fertility awareness method it takes a lot of work like it's no joke you need to be really diligent um it's you know it is technically a highly effective option when used with perfect use as well as its you know efficacy increases significantly when you do have a regular cycle and that's not everybody's case um so i think there's you know a Again, online, as you say, people are like, this is like the holy grail birth control, but it's not realistic for such a big portion of the population. And then when people feel like they can't use it or they have another option, they feel like, I don't know, shamed or embarrassed that um, they're not using it or that they are using hormonal birth control when, it's, when it works really well for them. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to yes, continue to share stories, as I've said before, but really take a step back and think, okay, what is my purpose in sharing my story? Why am I doing it? How am I being helpful? And am I going to be harmful or hurtful in any way in sharing this? And maybe I want to, you know, reevaluate either my word choice or sharing at all. Yeah. I think that's such an important thing to to leave people with as well, right? If if something has really worked for you, you know, embrace that. And of course, you know, talk to people about it in your life if you feel comfortable doing so. But knowing that that is not the reality for many people. And uh, I guess the piece that that I'm thinking about as well is definitely privilege. You know, like, do you have the, the time and space in your life to go through? I mean, it's, it's quite a a process of tracking all of these things that are going on in your body. And if you are, you know, working irregular hours or shift work or whichever else, that might not really be an option, right? So just, there's so many things when it comes to contraception of like, just your lifestyle is a huge part. Totally. There's so much to that. Um, and again, we could have a whole other conversation on fertility awareness method. But again, some of these things, like if you're hungover, it won't take in that information because it, you know, isn't, it's just invalid <laughs> or if you are sleeping differently, like and taking your basal body temperature, like that data is then invalid. Like it's based on like very 
strict criteria. Um, and I would like, I'm still not perfect at it. Like I am still trying to work through these things and it can be expensive. Like the subscription to these apps can be expensive. These hormonal tests can be expensive. Um, and I think again, there's a bigger conversation that needs to happen around all of these methods and their pros and cons and what works for the individual and taking the time to have conversations on an individual level is when we get into the nitty gritty and really celebrate the details that make us all unique. And this is how we find options that work well for us as individuals. Mm -hmm. That is, I was going to add something. I'm like, no, you have absolutely encompassed it in what you've just said, right? Of it's all about finding what's going to work best for you. And then I just added anyway. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. No, I, I I, really appreciate this conversation. And I, I hope it is helpful to people who are listening because I know I have been bombarded with questions about contraceptive methods. And there are so many links in the description for you to learn more. Um, and Rhea Health, I will also say that I, I have used it and really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I recommend it to folks. So please check out links in the description because super important to have that autonomy over our choices. So we're going to give you as many tools as possible to make that as easy for you as possible. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. On the next episode, I'm talking to Fertility Awareness Method teacher and host of the Fertility Awareness Project podcast, Nat. Now, if you have a question, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also message me on Instagram at dr.leahtidy. Now, if you're not already, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, hey, leave a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what you thought of this episode. That really helps this podcast grow. And folks, we are at almost 100,000 downloads. So let's get it. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.